Welcome to the Leaders in Payments podcast, where we talk to C-level leaders from across the payments landscape. We'll be discussing the products and services that impact the payment space today, as well as trends and predictions for the future of payments. We will also hear stories from our guests about their journeys to the top. We have to bring the best of what consumers are experiencing outside of healthcare and make the healthcare payment experience feel much more like that. So I think bridging that gap is one of the biggest problems in the healthcare space that we are trying to help solve. Happy New Year, everyone. That was Access One CEO Mark Spinner, and I'm your host, Greg Myers. And this is episode 203 of the Leaders in Payments podcast. Mark is not only a former Rice University football player, but he also has bragging rights with both George Bush and Mikhail Gorbachev. Access One is a financial technology company that exists to empower patients to live healthier lives. They focus on human-centric payment affordability tools with a passion to help patients manage their financial responsibilities. The company itself was founded by a third-generation physician, and the DNA of the brand is steeped in empathy for the patient experience. Regarding their competitive advantage, Mark touts patient centricity and flexibility. Mark and I go on to talk about his journey to the CEO role, including what drew him to Access One, why he has never been so excited about multi-factor authentication, and where he sees the industry going in the next two to three years. As we embark on our fourth year here at the Leaders in Payments podcast, I wanted to mention a few things we're doing in 2023. We will continue to have our special months. March is Diversity and Inclusion Month. July is Women Leaders in Payments Month. And September is Financial Inclusion Month. We have various levels of sponsorship available for each of these important months. And completely new for 2023 is the Pulse of Payments series. Each month throughout the year, we're going to dive deeper into a hot topic in the industry. For example, we'll be talking about embedded finance, open banking, and more. If you're interested in sponsoring, please reach out to me. You can email me at greg at leadersandpayments.com or reach me on LinkedIn. So let's get back to the episode featuring Mark Spinner, the CEO of Access One. Hi, Mark. Thank you for being here and welcome to the Leaders in Payments podcast. Hey, Greg. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Look forward to it. Absolutely. So let's dive right in. Tell our audience a little bit about yourself, maybe where you grew up, where you went to school, where you currently live, a few things like that. Sure. So yeah, Mark Spinner. I live just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, where Access One is headquartered. And yeah, I'm a husband to one wife, father to three teenagers and two dogs. Really kind of grew up most of my life in South Carolina and Georgia. Went off to school in Texas, uh, Rice University, where, you know, back in the uh, early 90s, I double majored in economics and management and also played football in the old Southwest Conference back in those days. So that's uh, kind of my early story. And then after that, got right into kind of finance, banking and private equity out of uh, out of Rice. So. That's a little bit about my background. Okay. And what position in football did you play? I played offensive line at Rice. I was recruited as a center. I'm not the biggest guy, just about six foot two. And at the time, we had a new coach at Rice, a guy named Ken Hatfield, who was running the option offense. So you, you really needed sort of medium sized offensive linemen with a little bit of quickness, as opposed to most college teams are looking for six foot five, six foot six guys. 
So it was a good fit for me. I ended up playing uh, tackle for four years there. It was great. Rice was uh, just a terrific place. Just some really brilliant people there from all over the world. They had the G7 there one one year. And uh, I remember I got to shake George Bush's hand and uh, got to see Mikhail Gorbachev, you know, walking down the sidewalk. It was it was just a pretty amazing place to be at that time. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Well, let's talk about the company Access One. So tell the audience what Access One does. Oh, uh, sure. Access One is a financial technology company. And, and we really, the reason we exist is, you know, our mission is to empower patients to live healthy lives. And we do that through human-centric payment and affordability tools. Our story is, is very kind of mission-driven. We were actually founded by a third-generation physician. So a lot of the things that we do, uh, how we do them, really go back to sort of the empathy of, of a physician who you know spends life caring for patients. So the way we do that is we proactively deliver to the consumer the right information, the transparent information, wherever they are, with very simple tools to manage their patient responsibility, the bill they owe from the healthcare provider, with options that they can afford and the right information to understand their bill. And by doing that, we enable our provider partners to you know, very effectively and efficiently manage all those self-pay dollars. So the what of it is really the products are B2B software and services. We sell those to healthcare providers like big health systems, hospitals, or provider groups. And I think, you know, our sort of our DNA is to deliver something that's very pragmatic so that we can fit in with those providers' strategies. Most of them have spent a very a lot of time and energy and capital on big enterprise health information systems or ERP systems. So we, we really have to fit in with those strategies and be able to be deployed pretty quickly. So that, that's kind of the why, the how, and the what we do at Access One. Okay. And is it just in North America or just U.S. or is it global? So we're based here in the Metro Charlotte area. It's a U.S. company. We have clients and patients in all 50 states. We have about 100, a little over 150 employees. Our headquarters operation here outside of Charlotte, and then we have a West Coast operations facility in Eugene, Oregon, which is a beautiful place. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. What is your sort of go-to-market strategy? So do you work through a direct sales team that works you know, for the company? Do you have partnerships or a little bit of both? Yeah, so it's definitely both that has evolved over time. I think historically, we had been mostly sort of the motion was more direct in the enterprise healthcare space. So we you know, would have our marketing teams and our direct sales executives out there generating relationships and you know, working with CFOs and revenue cycle executives and health systems. And we've done a couple of acquisitions over the years. And as we've continued to expand our total addressable market with payment tools, that's started to evolve. So we have a business development organization now that is dedicated to putting together wholesale partnerships as well. We have a very strong partnership with PNC Bank. And so that is one channel that we've had for a few years where their clients um, that are looking for solutions like ours can source those through their um, healthcare technology and treasury services product suites. And then we're excited in the last two years, we've started to actually package out some of our tools in sort of an OEM format with other healthcare software companies that want to include best-of-breed mobile 
they'll present mobile payment capture solutions within their suites. So we have we have some software and some revenue cycle tech enabled services companies that package our software into theirs. So that's been an exciting sort of development over the last few years and more of an indirect channel. Okay, okay. You mentioned a couple of things and I want to double click on them. What do you feel like is the biggest challenge or sort of problem that you're solving? I know on the patient side, you mentioned transparency. And then I think on you know your direct customers, it's getting the people to pay their portion. So sort of, can you talk about those kind of two aspects of the industry? Yeah. you know, I think for, in terms of the problems, the healthcare financial landscape is still very complicated for the patient consumer. It's just different than any other purchase occasion that they encounter. So we as consumers, the bar just continuously gets raised. We're dealing with Amazon. We're dealing with very sophisticated counterparties who are delivering low friction, exceptional consumer experiences when we're transacting. And healthcare tends to lag in that respect. And the consumer is very apt to getting frustrated. So when you deliver a a experience to a consumer who's getting more and more accustomed to this low friction, very fast mobile native payment experience, they're getting disengaged pretty quickly. So we have to bring the best of what consumers are experiencing outside of healthcare and make the healthcare payment experience feel much more like that. So I think bridging that gap is one of the biggest problems in the healthcare space that we are trying to help solve. That's one. The second is just, even if you're doing a great job presenting that information, being transparent, proactive, frictionless, the bill is just getting much, much bigger for the consumer. So affordability is really the second big problem. So if you do all those things right and the patient consumer still doesn't have enough free cash to pay that bill, then what do you do? How do you help that consumer connect to the care that they need in a pre-service scenario or in a a livable, affordable, realistic way, deal with that balance, you know, kind of post-care, you know, so that they can kind of get back on the road to full health, both from their physical well-being standpoint, and then also from a financial perspective. Yeah, and I and we've had on the show sort of a buy now, pay later sort of solution for healthcare. So is that something that you offer too? We do. We have really it's across the continuum. So whether you can pay in full, whether you need some some short term buy now, pay later solution, or whether you need a long term financing arrangement, Access One has a suite of solutions that sort of cover the waterfront there for the consumer. So it's really about putting an easy button out there in front of the patient consumer and uh, making sure that you are at their fingertips with the right information at the right time so they can see all their options across those three categories at the moment when they understand their bill, understand their estimate, and need to choose a provider. So that's really where the mission comes in. It's, It's just making sure that the consumer has those pathways lit up in a very you know, low friction way that's transparent to them. Okay. And I assume it's a SaaS based model. We have a few different solutions. All of them have soft kind of our proprietary software at the core. So for the pay in full and care now, pay later features, those are SaaS oriented where where we deliver 
the software. And then we also have a model with a service behind it as well. So that if you need the human touch, the servicing, we have patient advocate centers on the East and West Coast. And our team members are just terrific at talking to patients through their options, helping them into an affordable plan that works for them if they're on the financing platform that we offer. And just hearing them deal with consumers every day and deliver that real human empathy is, is a great compliment to our technology services as well. What would you say differentiates your company from your competitors out there? That's a great question. You know, I think it's one where we're constantly evolving and refining. This market moves so quickly. I think the two big things we talk about right now are patient centricity. And this is something that is a constant for us. So going back to our founder and our founders really in thinking about this consumer in a very, you know, deep way and building tools that are, you know, human centered from the design perspective that are delivering the information and experience that the consumer it needs, that we're anticipating and complying with consumer needs. That's kind of how we talk about it here. That also is an inclusion point for us as well. When we think about affordability, we don't think about one size fits all. We think about real patient consumer types. You know, are they a balance after insurance customer consumer? Are they a catastrophic bill consumer? Are they a partial financial assistance recipient? So we really think through the whole consumer experience and design products that put them at the center of that design process and and try to deliver for what they need. So I'd say patient centricity and inclusion is one thing. And then the second thing is flexibility. Our provider clients are also mission-driven organizations and they don't all behave the same way. Some of them are very interested in patient experience and that is their kind of their true North Star. So it's all about patient experience. Some of them are very financially driven and it's, it's much more about the ROI, the cash acceleration, you know, the cost benefit analysis. Uh, some of them are looking for outsourcing. So we have different formats of our solution and different value sort of price value strategies to be flexible and address the needs of the provider as well. So I think those are the two big things for us would be flexibility and patient centricity or inclusion. Okay. And where do you see the payments industry? And and you can definitely answer this in the context of healthcare payments, but where do you see the industry headed, say, in the next two to three years? I think we are just obsessing over this element of of friction, this, this concept of eliminating friction for the consumer. And when I look out there and interact with the financial community. I I see that as continuing to be a trend. I really love the Zelle product out of the banking system right now and just seeing how that's disintermediating, you know, paper checks and other form, even cash. I mean, other, other forms of payments and payment cards in the P2P space. I think continuing to bring those kinds of experiences to more transaction types will be a, a big trend. And to us, that is about the consumer experience and driving friction out of the process. It's also about transaction costs for the merchants on either side of that and and finding a way to continue to drive down that cost of payment facilitation. So I think those are two big things that we're focused on. 
And then just safety. I mean, we are seeing what's going on in the crypto market right now. It's just obviously extremely volatile. You just have more and more risk around payment security, finding ways to make security not high friction. We've refactored all of our multi-factor authentication sort of platforms this year. And, and it's really takes a lot of effort to make those both more secure and not annoying, <laughs> not, you know, heavy friction. I've never gotten so excited about multi-factor authentication that I had over the last month. Our team delivered an amazing low friction MFA platform for our providers and they were thrilled and I was thrilled. And uh, it's not something I would normally get very excited about, but I was. So I think it's us. It's like, hey, we've got to be the easy button in healthcare payments. That's it. So that's what we're all about. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge challenge in in the industry. The authentication and fraud companies continue to spend more and more money and the fraud continues to get worse and worse. So it's definitely a pain point in the industry. And then, you know, one solution is to have more authentication, which causes more friction, which is then you're not solving for the friction problem. So totally, totally hear what you're saying. I wanted to circle back on the crypto since you brought it up. Is there is there a future of blockchain or crypto in the healthcare payment space, do you think? I think if you would have asked me that six to nine months ago, I would have I would have said probably. And now I, I think I would say probably a little bit longer. It's a little bit further off just with what's going on with the value of the the tokens and the assets and the volatility and now, you know, a spectacular fraud case. I think that it's going to push off a bit, at least more time between where we are today and where, you know, healthcare systems will be comfortable or, or payment companies or banks will be comfortable, you know, using crypto as a, you know, real currency to satisfy patient liabilities. It's just, it's, there's just so much noise around it right now with the FTX situation. I think it's going to cause a little bit of delay here. Yeah. I think most people would agree with your assessment there. Definitely. Well, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about you. So maybe bring us up to date from your graduation from Rice and kind of your career, how you got to be the CEO there. Maybe walk us through that journey if you don't mind. Sure. It's hard to get in one conversation, but I guess the thing I'd say is, it's just amazing to me how, you know, everything that you do in your life really is a step, you know, on a path. It's, it's a journey to where you are in the present. And it just, you go back to my rice days and just the struggle of playing a sport in college and the, just the stress of going a thousand miles, you know, away from your home somewhere you don't know anybody and, and trying to figure it out and, being in Texas there, you know how hard rice is in terms of academics and failing your first economics test. And <laughs> you just go through all these challenges and getting your fanny kicked pretty hard on the, on the football field and, and uh, feeling like, man, I am over my skis here. I do not belong here. And you, you're on a team and you have your brothers and you have your coaches and you carry each other forward in those tough times. And it's not that you learn how to win every time, because certainly when you're playing football at Rice, you don't win every time, but you sure do learn how to get up and you sure do learn how to work hard. And so I think for me, that's really my journey is, is just being willing to invest a huge amount of effort and energy and emotion and care into something and sticking with it. 
So that's what I learned from sports. And I love being a coach at work. I love being a coach to my kids when I used to have that chance before they, you know, they got good at sports and, and older and needed real coaches. But I think that's my encouragement and career advice is just get up, you know, get up, keep going, love what you do and work hard. Uh, you know, I left Rice and I went into finance right away. I worked for an amazing family called the Stevens family up in, uh, they're based in Little Rock, Arkansas, and, and really an investment bank and private equity firm really taught me the basics of finance and this partnership DNA that they had was pretty significant. So they taught you, you know, that partnership with your customer is extremely valuable and also to just think like a principal in everything you do, act like an owner, make decisions as if you owned that company. And that sort of mentality was burned in early and I think has served, you know, has served me along the way. So grew up through, you know, banking and finance. And then in 2010, I got into my first sort of entrepreneurial company also in the fintech space on the healthcare side. And then in uh, 2016, I guess March 15th, 2016 was my first day as CEO of Access One. And I had hooked up with a few private equity firms that I knew well and, and knew the character of the people. And, and we were looking for an investment to make and uh, where I could join the management team and, and put some capital to work. And uh, Access One was one of the companies that we met, Dr. Salton, our, our founder, for about a year. And uh, finally made a, you know, made a deal with him to join the company and take what was then about, I think we had 27 or 28 employees and most of our business was in the Carolinas and really partnered with him to expand that into a national leader in our space. So that's the quick version on my pathway to Access One. What was it about Access One that drew you to it? You know, I think first it was just the mission. This company that was really doing well you know, financially and had a great product and a great origin story. And it was also helping people and kind of part of the part of the solution to in healthcare where there's a, an affordability gap that was growing. So I felt like we were doing good and doing well at the same time and just great products and people that were there, but just in a regional sort of format. So I felt like there was there was great ingredients to make something much larger and more valuable there. So those were kind of the foundational elements, and they're they're still true today. We're you know we're a much larger company, and we're coast to coast, but our people are just terrific, and uh, our product is the best in the business that we that we're in. Uh, and I think our customers are just they're excellent. They're just great health systems that serve their communities and care a lot about the people they serve, and and their partnerships are are just valuable. We have some customers that we've had for you know almost twenty years. So these are really valuable partnerships that we drive with these healthcare providers. And, you know, we're helping millions of families understand and pay their bills in the way that they want to, and it helps them take care of their families. So it's just, it's a great place to be, man. It it feels good. Good, good. Well, what are some things you're passionate about? So maybe one work-related passion and one non-work-related passion. Hmm, That is a good one. You know, I think it just goes back to to sports and, you know, coaching. I think my why is helping people play their best game, helping people figure out what their why is and really get enrolled in their plan and their mission for themselves and realizing their full potential. When I look back at my life, whether it's as a husband or a father or as a player or a captain or as a CEO, the things I remember the most are the times when somebody 
gave me the feedback that said, hey, you know, you really helped me unlock this door or figure this out or take a step to the next level. And I just really appreciate that time you spent with me to train me on this or, you know, coach me on that. So I think that's my why and, and I'm passionate about it. So it really kind of crosses over both from a work perspective and a, and a life perspective. I've, I've got three teenagers, so I'm constantly coaching and, and parenting. Uh, so I need to be good at that. I need to continue to get better at it. But that's kind of my why, man. Okay. So follow on question to that. Do you do anything like explicitly to get better at that? Like, do you read? Do you listen to things? Do you go to conference? Do you do anything? Or is this really kind of natural, just ingrained in who you are that that's kind of your passion? I'm just curious, like, you know, you said you try to get better and better. Just curious if there's a, you know, a formula to that or it just kind of is natural for you. You know, I have a peer group. Um, we we have a private equity firm that's invested in Access One, and over the years, they've provided different you know opportunities for CEOs in the portfolio. And I, I took them up on one of those opportunities a few years ago. It was an intentional leadership program, and we had a cohort of uh, other CEOs in the portfolio. So that was just a temporary short-term program that we went through, but we kind of kept the crew together. So every six months or so, we get together and we talk and we revisit some of the things that we discussed. We talk about what's working. We talk about what we're struggling with. So that peer group is sort of an iron sharpens iron uh, concept that we kept going. That's really helpful. That's really helpful to have that peer group. And then, you know, just in our management cadence with the company, you know, we have our goal setting on a quarterly and annual basis. And you know, I definitely try to exercise those muscles in that format as well to, to sort of understand the why, um, get some deep enrollment in those goal setting opportunities. And that's another way to sort of keep that sharp. Still trying to figure it out with the teenagers, though, man. Any advice you have on that, Greg? I <laughs> well, I, I've, I've raised three girls. The youngest one is 18 and just went off to college. So, yeah, I, I'm not sure I'm the right person to, uh, <laughs> to offer up much advice. Um, it's a challenge, that's for sure. But I think at the end of the day, once they're out and on their own and you see them successful, that, uh, I think allows you the ability to kind of sit back and say, okay, well, I think I did okay. Yeah. So final question, and I always like to get people's sort of viewpoints and opinions because I think we all come from, you know, our own different life experiences. But within the payments industry specifically in fintech, it has become an industry that people want to come to work in. I think that wasn't true a while, you know, many years ago. But there's been a lot of money dumped into this industry. It's become kind of a, a sexy place to work. And I think even kids in college can take fintech courses now. So the question is, what advice would you give someone, say they're joining your company right out of college or they're a, a kid of a friend or, or something and they're interested in the industry, what would you tell them that they need to do to be successful in the payments or fintech space? It's incumbent on folks coming into our industry to really, to really dig in and commit to listening. We sometimes say, listen with a knife, you know, at Access One. It is getting immersed and really committing to going all the way to the bottom of the pool on your particular domain or experience. I think that the folks coming into the labor force today, there's just less human-to-human contact and human-to-human conversations these days than you know I think in the past. And really 
being a great listener and working hard to understand communication and perspectives from your teammates or your customers or your consumers is critical. And I think that probably crosses over in any space, but in our space, it's, it's critical. So communication and listening is just, you can't work on that enough. You can't overinvest in listening and communicating. I think that would be the one thing. And then the other thing is just don't be afraid to work hard. I mean, work-life balance is incredibly important, but the value in putting in your best effort, it just keeps paying you back over your whole career. It's, it's amazing. And when you really dig in and you really commit and you really invest in your work, you're not only investing in a great product and outcome for your company, but you're investing in yourself. So those are the two things I think I would, uh, off the top, provide as advice to someone coming into our space. Yeah, I think both of those are spot on and, and great advice for sure. Well, we've covered a lot of ground so far about your company, the industry, you and your journey. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? You know, I think it's just a good conversation, Greg. I appreciate you providing the opportunity to, to have a conversation and bringing, you know, just attention to our space and what we're doing, you know, is a great asset to us. So thank you for providing the forum here and really appreciate the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So Mark, uh, thanks again for being on the show. I know your time's very valuable, so I want to respect that. And I uh, really appreciate you being here on the show today. All right. Happy holidays. Thanks, Greg. Same to you. And to all you listeners out there, I thank you for your time as well. And until the next story. Thank you for joining us this week on the Leaders in Payments podcast. Make sure you visit our website at leadersinpayments.com, where you can subscribe to the show and where you'll find our show notes. If you enjoyed listening, please share on your social channels as well. 